Well, hey everybody, welcome back to Braving the Journey. I am your host, Zach Mathers. Hey, I just want to say um, I am really honored that you choose to take the time to listen to Braving the Journey. And I want to ask you guys, before we dive into anything, if you could do me a favor. The truth is, is I believe so much in the people I have on the show, the stories that they share, the connections they have, and the, and the things that they're teaching, to be honest, that I want to ask that if you are listening to this, will you find an episode that connected to your heart and share it with somebody? Because the truth is the audience and the way that this show grows is because of you guys, meaning that you are the ones that are helping share what is happening on Braving the Journey. And so please, I, I just ask, you can you can text someone directly or do a post about it and just say, hey, check out this new podcast I've been listening to. Um, that helps me a ton and it helps growth and helps get the word out more and more and more. So with that today, I have Wendy Behar on. She is a licensed therapist, author of a book called Your Rules, Your Life, motivational speaker. And we dive into this conversation talking a lot about boundaries, self-care. And it, to be honest, you guys, it couldn't come at a better time for me. I've had a busy week all over the board, just feeling like I've kind of been neglecting any self-care. And then I sit down and I get to talk to Wendy and all of a sudden I'm going like, man, I really need to bring this back into priority. So we talk a lot about how do we feel our feelings and how do we begin to make sure that we are setting up things that are really self-care. She has a really powerful stories of 24 years of sobriety, you guys. And she has been working in the sobriety industry, helping people. So you're not going to want to miss out. Listen to the whole thing. It's phenomenal. Lastly, I'm going to leave you with this. If you have not downloaded the Lived app, do it now. Lived app is an app that is basically, they, they have guides that have walked through the sobriety journeys. And you can listen to different three-day courses, seven-day courses, daily motivational talks or or when you're in the moment of something you go I need to hear something now there are these amazing things I'm one of the I'm one of the guides for the app I absolutely love getting to produce and put together these different talks like right now I'm working on one that's around the idea of fear and like how do we not walk around fear but walk through fear and overcome the fears that we have so download the app the app is in the show notes go download it all right, you guys, let's jump into this. Here we go. Hey, Wendy, I just want to say welcome to the show. Um, I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you and I get to sit down and have just this conversation. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So one of the things I do before we even dive into your story and the show is um, I take a moment and we both share just one thing that we're grateful for. Um, it kind of helps ground me and just kind of center me. And, and uh, yeah, so... Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Sure. You? Okay. Simply, okay. Simply, what I'm grateful for is my health, health of myself and my family. Mm, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, for me, um, I am grateful for, um, I play roller hockey on the men's league and I'm really grateful for it. I had a game last night and that's why I'm thinking about it. It's because, um, in my drinking, I would have missed every game or I would have tried to show up and actually play, which is even more, more stupid, you know, or just whatever it is. But like, uh, I love just having things that like my son plays on a league and he plays and then I play on the, the old man league and I love it. 
you know, it's fun. So old man, look at you. You don't I, well, you know what? I feel like it on the team. Like everybody's like 20, and I'm just like, I'm literally over there, like in the corner, like about ready to pass out because I'm like, you know, and these guys are just skating circles around me. So yes, I feel like the old man in the group. But you feel like one, you know what they say, feelings are in facts, right? Yes, very true. It is very true. Well, Wendy, I want to hear. So, I mean, you are, you know, author, therapist motivational speaker um i want to hear what got you i always love i love people's stories right i love i love your story of like what got you to a space where all of a sudden you're doing all this stuff working with people helping people and um what what got you to that space though very interesting it sounds very simple all i had to do was give up one thing which is probably the most difficult thing i've ever done in my life which was when I was 35 years old, I stopped drinking alcohol. Hmm. And because of that, my whole life changed. So, so what was, what was your, like your, I always love hearing people's kind of experience with alcohol because everyone's, everyone's journey looks different. That leads them to a space of going, I got to give this up. So what was your prior to the age 35 kind of life like? Well, let's say when I was, 13 years old, I'd love to drink on the weekends and party with my friends, and it was fun. However, I was probably the only person that blacked out and threw up. Hmm. And I kept on doing it, and it was a weekend thing. Yeah. And it was fun until it wasn't. Yeah. And I moved with my family when I was 15 because my mother thought, okay, geographical cure. Hmm. Because I would get in trouble in school. I was a class clown. And the principal called my mother and would say, I don't know what's with Wendy. One day she's really, you know, focused and good. And the next day she's fresh and off the wall. And I was smoking pot as well, walking to school at 14 years old. Yeah. And when I was 16, we moved. And I think it helped a little bit. They always say there's no geographical cure. Right. It helped a little bit because I didn't smoke pot anymore. And I would drink on the weekends. And I would experiment with other things on the weekends with friends. And we would party and have a really good time. However, I would bang into walls. I came home bruised all the time. Mm. And I didn't know what I said or what I did. And usually I would get angry. Now, if you saw me, you would say, she is not angry at all because I always smiled. Right. I was called smiley. Yeah. Stopped all my feelings. And when I drank, I would tell you what I really thought. Hmm. I had no filter. So I guess I gravitated towards people who like to drink. Now, if I had a healthy boyfriend which I did in high school. He was a football player and he was going to be a doctor. Yeah. He decided after a year and a half that we weren't good for each other Hmm. because he was healthy. Yeah. Wasn't healthy. Right. It makes sense. And then I would gravitate towards people that like to party. Yeah. The rest of my boyfriends were partiers. And I ended up marrying somebody when I was 22 years old. You know, I was raised to be a mom. Hmm. 1980, that's what people did. They got married 
at young ages. And I was the first of my friends to get married at 22. And at 22, when I graduated from college, I wanted to become a social worker. Okay. I loved helping people. And I was actually raised to be a people pleaser and take care of others. I'm an only child. And I believe I was born to help my parents. Yeah. To help others. And I always put myself last. And I would always take care of other people. And I just happened to love doing that. And when I told my husband that I wanted to go back to graduate school, Mm -hmm. I had such low self-esteem because he told me, no, no, no. You don't need to go to graduate school. You can have children. Hmm. Don't bother. And I listened. Yeah. And I had my two children who I adored on the outside our life was perfect. Yeah. Now, were you during this whole time? Was it still did the weekend partying kind of mellow out a little bit, or was it still just in kind of there, or did it escalate more kind of through all this? Well, what would happen is my husband and I would have wine every night for dinner. So yes, we, like it was okay, right? And we would have our wine. And then on the weekends, we would still drink our wine. However, I would do a pregame show, which would be that I would sneak vodka before we would go out. Right. And he would do his thing. And it looked okay because it was social. Or we would do that with dinner. I rarely would drink during the day except maybe on a barbecue Sunday would have a beer or two. And you never knew when I was going to go over that edge. Certain times I would drink and be fine. Yeah. Other days I would drink the same amount and I would turn into a werewolf, like a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it progressed. And when I was 35 years old, we went to a family function with my children. They were six and nine. And my husband said, please don't drink. That's all you had to do was tell me not to drink. Yeah. And you were, yeah, you're like, I'm going to now. Right. (laughs) You don't tell me what to do. Right. So I drank a lot that night. I don't even remember how much. I kept on telling the bartender at this wedding, do me a favor, just leave a glass of wine on the bar all night and just keep refilling it. Right. He did. And I just kept drinking until I was in a blackout and it was embarrassing. And my children, you know, saw me crying and carrying on. And when we came home, my husband cried for the first time because he Mm -hmm. would never cry. He was a macho guy. Yeah. Would never cry. You know, he also played football and he was athletic. And he said, oh, God, please get help. Yeah. And I had an epiphany moment. And in those days, there was something called the Yellow Pages, which is like Google today. Right, right, right. (laughs) And I looked up recovery meetings. I don't know how. I believe it was my higher power. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. And my mother actually took me to my first recovery meeting, which was on a Sunday. Hmm. And it happened to be an anniversary 
And I raised my hand and said, hi, I'm Wendy. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. And the weight that I felt was lifted off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I never said that. I never thought I was an alcoholic because I would always try to say, okay, I'll only drink on the weekends or I'll only have vodka or I'll have wine and start changing things or I won't do it tomorrow. And then I would do it again. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's crazy too is like we have a tendency to put in this idea of what an alcoholic looks like in our mind. And then we go, well, that's not us, right? Because I, I'm not that person or I'm not that bad. Or you can always find someone worse in, in the addiction of it, right? Yes. And I did the same thing. You know, for the longest time, I wasn't willing to identify with it because I would look at other people and go, well, well my life's not that bad. I still have my kids, my job, my, my, you know, my family, like I still have these things. So I can't be, you know, but the reality was, is I was, it just looked different for me than it did for somebody else, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. And learning that, learning that like everybody's struggle with alcohol is going to look different, you know? So there's, there's no one picture. Like if you're this, then, then you have a problem. So. Exactly. Exactly. People don't understand that. And I will always challenge my clients and I will say to them, okay, you're functioning, but are you functioning to your full potential? Right. You could always be better when you're drinking or drugging. It doesn't mean you're drinking or drugging at work, but you can't be as clear. You're not as present. You're not on top of your game. Is your life unmanageable in any area of your life? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relationships, your job. There's so many things that you could look at and say, you know what? It really could be better Yeah. if I didn't drink. So what happened to me was, you know, at 35, I came into the rooms of a recovery and I started changing. I took every single suggestion. I went to meetings and my husband decided not to come along for the ride. We tried to be. But he just still wanted to drink and he was emotionally abusive to me Hmm. because I was sober and I was a weirdo. Yeah. I started meditating, praying, and I was very spiritual. Yeah. And I believe in God and God could be good orderly direction. It doesn't have to be because a lot of people get turned off with that concept, but it could just be someone higher than you. It doesn't have to be like, I'm not in charge. And I was a control freak. I never knew who I was. Yeah. Learned more and more about myself. They said the onion keeps on unpeeling. Oh yeah. I'm sober 24 years today at 43. I got a divorce, went back to graduate school, worked for 18 years in an intensive outpatient facility, running Mm. groups, you know, three-hour groups, three times a day for eight. Oh, yeah. Wow. Loved it. Loved it. And then when the pandemic hit, I decided to write a book because I wanted yep. to help more people. So talk to me about your book, Your Rules, Your Life. Like, well, give me give me the the overview of like the heart behind behind the whole thing. The heart behind it is to empower others. And in my mind, it was for millennials, anywhere really from 25 to 40, to help women make changes in their life by setting 
healthy boundaries, by learning self-care strategies, because it's so important to honor yourself and figure out what you want to do in your life and not live by anybody else's rules. So that's why your rules, your life, this is your life. This is our only life that we get. Might be reincarnated if you believe in that, possible. But right now, are you happy? Right. Authentically happy. And I'm not saying I'm happy every day. I'm constantly working on stuff. Right. But really to be true to you. And that's what I learned in recovery. It even says it on the coin, to thine own self be true. Be true. Right. When I saw that coin, I was like, oh, my God, an epiphany moment. Am I really true to me? I want to go yeah. back to graduate graduate school. I want to do a lot of things. And I felt like I was really stuck. Yeah. In a rut. No, I think that's beautiful. I love I love your you know your story of like being able to be aware and make the shift and change. Like a lot of times people will go, hey, I'm 35. Like this is just this is life I've been dealt and this is what I'm gonna do. Right. And like it's interesting. I've been, the more and more I just like spend time really looking at like what it takes to make change. Like it takes so much courage. You know, I think for me, like when we choose to like face our fears or step into change, like it always is going to take an amount of courage, you know, some's bigger than others and certain things, but like it takes courage to do it. I want to talk with you about boundaries and kind of like this self care piece, right? Because it for me, I'll be I'll be completely vulnerable on, on the on the self care part. I really lack at it. it. It's a part of my recovery that I, you know, I sit down every Sunday night and I map out my calendar and I put everything in there. What I got going on with myself and the kids and the family. And every time my wife always walks over and goes, "You have nothing in there for you, like nothing." And I'll add it, but then I won't even find myself even necessarily holding to it, right? Because um, because I have a tendency to always, I love what I do, but I have a tendency I'm always working or helping or doing other pieces. That that uh, self-care has been always one of my challenges that I, I have to continually come up against and go, I got I to gotta keep working at it. I got to keep working at it. Um, so I, wanna, I would love to hear from you and, and your kind of expertise on, on it of going like, what are strategies that myself and others can do to actually go to begin to implement self-care more on a daily? Well, first of all, this little motto, self-care isn't selfish, is something mm. that maybe you could put a post-it right on your mirror. So when you yeah. In the bathroom, in the mirror, when you're getting dressed, self-care is not selfish. And to understand that if you don't take care of yourself, then you won't be able to really be present and take care of others. Right. You get depleted. Now, if I am running around like a crazy person, you know, people pleasing everybody and doing what everybody else wants, then I'm, that's also an addiction. Yeah. Being busy, you don't feel your feelings. And you get disconnected with yourself. So it's really important for me, and I tell my clients, to sit, to breathe, to meditate in the morning, first thing in the morning, and just connect with yourself. Yeah. And figure out, okay, 
How am I feeling today? And another important point is like you talked about your schedule. Yeah. Make sure that I put in at least once or twice a week, even really now doing even three times because I went over the other side and started working too much and not being able to balance. And I was starting to get irritable Mm -hmm. husband and cranky Yep, and not wanting to do anything social because I was burnt out. Right. So I said, oh, I have to regroup. And I started putting in two, three times a week. Like, for example, this week I went to acupuncture and I got a massage. And last week I went and had a manicure and a pedicure. Yeah. Epsom salt bath, essential oils, take a walk. Every day I need to exercise. Like I've been doing yoga. Yep. It is the best So it's really figuring out what you can do to put things in for yourself every day, really, in the morning, praying, meditating, journaling, doing yoga or taking a walk. And that's something for me. And I do that in the morning. And then the rest of the day, I can do work. Yeah. So it's balancing. And when I was working in the intensive outpatient facility, I was working part time. Because also, self-care. Yeah. When you're giving out a lot of energy to people, you have to really take care of yourself. Because I wasn't able to help them the way I wanted. Now, fortunately, you know, financially, I was financially secure. Right. And that totally helped. So I'm not saying, you know, I know a lot of people have to work the 40 hours. Right, right. You know, to, to live. But you also have to balance that out because you're going to get burnt out and then you get sick. Yeah. So I worked, you know, three days a week from two in the afternoon till nine at night, running groups, individual, helping people. And that was perfect for me. And once I was working five days a week, it was too much. I just couldn't even focus on my clients and I couldn't even give them what they needed. Yeah. Right? Because I am depleted. So how can I teach something if I'm not doing it myself? Now, look, I'm not perfect. Certain days I will just forget about everything and I'll start going on the computer and I'll start writing my posts and doing all different things and I'll get lost. And I have to regroup. And also it's great to have friends to call you on your stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I and I do. I, I find it in in my life personally, like I I can you I can significantly feel the difference when I take time for myself and take time in the morning to journal and pray and and just be with my feelings, right? And get to the gym. And like these little things that like add up have a huge effect on uh on how I engage with my kids, my friends, my wife, like, you know, and my wife is probably the best indicator. She sees it the most. And she goes like, Hey, I could tell you need some self care. And that's really saying like, Hey, you've been kind of a jerk. Right. And so, um, but yeah, it's so funny how sometimes, sometimes the things that are absolutely the best for us, we have a tendency to skip over 
and keep, you know, and just dive into life, like, you know, work or I'm doing this post or I've got this stuff going. And when the reality is, it's like that stuff will always be there. It'll always be there. It's just the reality of like creating space and time for ourselves is so crucial. But so. it's necessary. It's yeah. necessary. And a, a lot of times, too, people are raised not to do that. Like I said, because, oh, you're selfish if you say no. Yeah. And I'll say no is a complete sentence. We don't <laughs> need to explain it. Yep. And it's okay. If somebody asks you to do something, let me get back to you. And yeah. I sometimes forget that. Sometimes I'm in a really good mood and I'll say yes. And then I'm like, yep. oh, God, what I do that? <laughs> yeah. And then you could change your mind and it's okay to change your mind. Nothing is etched in stone. Yeah. And that comes back to the boundaries, right? Like yeah. being able to have clear boundaries for your for yourself, you know, of going like here are like a boundary that my family and I have created and like I really value is we take a rest day on Sunday. I mean, my phone gets shut off. Like we shut down Sundays and we go and we evaluate it Saturday night going, what do we need as a family? Like, what do we need? And sometimes it's like to go to the beach and other times it's like just to be at home, you know, and it varies. But uh, yeah, I even had some, I had some workers try to reach me on Sunday uh, that were doing some projects for me and, and they couldn't get a hold of me. And I had to call Monday and say, Hey, sorry, my phone's always shut off on Sundays. You'll never be able to reach me, you know? And uh, I'm not always good at it. There's definitely days where I'm like, oh, I got to answer that or do this. But that's a goal and that's a boundary that I we've put into play as a family to kind of protect us and go, this helps us stay healthy. So Exactly. exactly. And that's what I've been trying to do. Last weekend, I actually spoke to my virtual assistant and I said, Friday through Sunday, if anybody's messaging us, just say, We're at, we'll get back to you on Monday. Yeah. All weekend long, I was answering people because I love helping people and I get lost in it. Yeah. And then I'm not in the moment. I'm not enjoying my husband. I'm not enjoying anything I'm doing, even if I'm at the gym and I'm texting people while I'm on the elliptical machine or in the middle of doing weights. What's that yeah. about? Yeah. The phone is the worst thing for me. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll agree with you on that one. I'm the I'm the, I'm right there. Like, yeah, it's like learning to set set the thing down. Um, it's probably the m- most healthy thing I could do for myself is to is to separate myself from my phone at times, just because you know there's always another thing to do or add or talk to or, or solve or yeah. It's an addiction. So, totally addiction. Social yeah. media, electronics. It's an addiction. So let me ask you from a, a therapist perspective, when, so a lot of times you're going to watch people choose sobriety, get sober, and then they're going to replace, uh, talking about this, we brought it up as a phone addiction, right? They're going to replace that addiction of alcohol with something else like their phone or some other means of addiction to basically not feel because, right? We're trying to avoid whatever feelings. What do you, how do you help? guide people into creating space to have their feelings. Like I said before, it's really important to get in touch with yourself by meditating. Yep. And journaling, which you talked about to really understand what your feelings are and to talk to a therapist, to identify what you're doing, because if you're not aware of it, then you can't change it. So a lot of people mm. aren't even aware 
that that is an addiction. What are you talking about? Well, I have things to do. I have errands. I have this and that. I have to do it. But you don't yeah. have to do. Not 24-7. You have to have a schedule. I'm going to do this. And why am I doing this? Am I triggered about something? Hmm. So it's really slowing down and figuring out what's going on. I have people in my life that are constantly running, running, running. You know, I could be one of them too. It's a pain. Yep. yep. A, a very good friend of mine passed away, and I don't even think I processed it. She passed yeah. away maybe a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not processing it. I'm running, I'm busy, I'm doing. Yeah. So finally I break down and I cry. Yeah. No, I mean, I I can I can be right there with you. I think like this last week I've been in that busy, we were gone on vacation, you know, so when you come back from vacation, I feel like I'm playing catch up, right? So like this week's been one of those weeks where I'm like, go, 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 go. And I'm like sitting here now all of a sudden having this conversation with you going, I'm not doing good at this. You know, I, I need like I'm I'm in the go mode that I'm not creating space and time to go like, wow, how am I feeling? What's going on? You know, where's the emotions at? And so, yeah. So just talking with you for me, it's a good reminder to go, OK, Zach, the world's going to keep spinning. And it's going to keep doing a thing with or without me so I can slow down at times and just and just be present, you know? Yes. And I love, too, what you said to let people know that my phone's yeah. on Sundays. To let other people know this is a boundary. You're not going to be able to reach me on Sunday. Yeah. On my posts, I always talk about self-care Sunday. Yeah. Really important. At least if you're doing it once a week, you know, as a start. Yep. But I would say if you take one hour throughout the day, just say, okay, this one hour is for me, whether it's the gym that's taking yeah. care of myself, like we talked about, right? Or meditating or whatever it is, take time for you. It's really important. When I was working, I would take a break from work and take a walk outside around the parking lot. Yeah. Fresh air. Because how yeah. long be in an office? It, it's not good. Need to change things up, but again, you have to have people. I believe in your life, supportive people. Yeah, that see it because we might not see it. You know, I think that that is a big key. You know, because I think we don't know what we don't know, and we don't see. You know, when when you're we're not like when I'm in the middle of stuff, it usually takes somebody on the outside to go, "Hey, are you aware of this going on?" And I'm like, "No." Oh, but once I once I see it, then I can choose what I get to do with it, right? But yeah, because even even learning like like you said earlier, talking about the idea of like having a someone like a therapist in your life that can even teach you how to navigate the and become aware of your feelings, right? Correct. That's a big deal because I think a lot of times none of us, you know, I went through years of therapy, and my wife and I still see one on like on a monthly basis as like a checkup, and like we, but in that I learned a lot of like how to navigate my self-talk basically like what are the words i'm saying to myself that i'm not even aware i'm saying and then how do i take those and then be aware going what what are those things i'm saying making me feel and act you know but it took a lot of practice it it wasn't like an overnight i figured it out you know well that's like anything in life we have to practice whatever we practice we become good at so if we have negative self-talk we'll be good at that yeah right so it like it's when you were talking, you made me think 
of how important it is to feel our feelings because feelings just want to feel. Hmm. So let them feel. Why is it like wrong to cry? Hmm. Like I always say feel, deal, and heal. We feel our feelings. Used to deal with them with drinking or drugging. Right. <laughs> not really dealing with them because you never process them in a healthy way. And then once you deal with them, you can heal. But you have to get through it. You yeah. can't jump around it by being busy or ignoring it because it'll bite you in the butt. Yeah. It's going to come out somehow. And that's why I believe a lot of people have health issues because they're not processing their feeling. They're stuffing them. Yeah. I've done a lot of reading on that, you know, cancers. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not right. just saying very often cancer is anger. It's inside, as you know. I don't know if you, you I'm assuming you know, but anger towards inside is depression. Yep. So when you suppress all that anger, you become depressed. Hmm. You know, anxiety. I'm an anxious person. I never knew I was. That's why I drank. Yeah chill at six o'clock with my solo cup that had wine in there as I was bathing my daughter and going from room to room. Right. And I don't think anything was wrong with that until after somebody pointed out like, that's not normal, you know, to hide your drinking. I used to hide it in shoe boxes because we all know women love shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I used to hide my vodka in the shoe box. Oh man. Hey, that is better than I, I. I talked to someone that they would hide it in the toilet tank. Yes, I've heard right? that. <laughs> Which I was like, that just seems like an awful place to to keep anything. Um, but yeah, so I love the I love that saying you just said. Uh, feelings just want to feel. Um, you know, and it it's one of those things where it's such a simple statement, but very profound. Um. You know, and like you said, like the the creating space to have feelings is kind of like step one to it. You got to create space for it, you know. And uh, but how do people that say how say say they have a routine of like you know quietness in the morning or, or journaling or whatever, but like they still are just struggling at being like aware of their feelings, begin to process them more. I guess does that make sense? Well, to process them, again, I would say the way to do that is to write them down and share them with somebody. Yeah. A healthy person. Like, again, a therapist. Yep. Or somebody else that's in recovery or somebody that has the expertise yeah. to be able to identify it and help you. Like, because a lot, like you said, a lot of people don't understand what is going on. Yeah. In the morning, I also love to do daily meditations and I do readings from different books. Yep. One of my favorite books is The Language of Letting Go with Melody Beattie. And when you start reading things, you're like, oh, yeah, I do feel like that today. And that's yeah. how it could help you. For example, I believe you do posts every day, I post inspirational messages every day. And even when I read other people's messages, I read your messages and it reminds, oh yeah, you know what? I do feel like that. Yep. So you could have an epiphany moment by just reading other people's messages. Yep. 
you know, like I'll post feelings need to feel. And then people will direct message me and say, oh, my gosh, you're right. And why am I afraid to cry? What's going to happen? The world is not going to end if I cry. It's actually healthy. Yeah. It's detoxified. Oh, yeah. I'm a I'm a big cry. Like, I, I like it. Well, you know, even like my 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 wife's uh, grandfather passed away a couple months ago. And so she went back to the mainland to be there in the process. And, you know, I was here with the three kids and work and everything. And I knew I had some feelings inside of me. I Because uh, like, I, I love this man to death. And I just knew there was so much. And so I actually had to schedule. I like, I was like, put it on my calendar, time to time to mourn. Time to time to feel this. And so I got my kids to bed, you know, and I did. I just sat out on the deck and I just wept and I needed it. And I knew I needed it because I was holding it in for the, like a couple days. And I just said, I need to create space to feel this. Um, and it was one of the most healthy because I would have normal, typical wife's out of town, gone. I would have drank and just said, I'm going to avoid the feeling, you know, but like I just got to sit and just cried and there was no solution that was there wasn't anything to solve it was just i just got to feel it exactly. you know and then and then i walked through it and i was like okay like I, I created space for it and i'm good you know that's a wonderful tool to create yeah. space for crying like creating space for self care practices right right and it's really important that's wonderful that you can do that it's great so wendy let me ask you this so you know at, at 35 you walked into the rooms was were you was for you was sobriety something that just kind of like okay I'm committed to this and you were able to kind of just stay that that course I was able to do that and interesting enough I came in on October 24th which is my father's birthday okay and then in the month of January I decided to take a Valium yep on December 31st and my sponsor said, uh, no, your sober date is January 1st. I said, what do you mean? I didn't drink. No, 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 no. You took a pill to get out of your feelings or to celebrate New Year's Eve. Yeah. So my anniversary is January 1st. Now, okay. I've had a lot of sponsees or friends that still have their sober date as when they stopped alcohol, not when they picked up a pill. And that's right. what happened. Yeah, everyone's got their everyone's got their own like what hey, like yeah, I'm not I'm not here to judge. But I do I wanna recognize like because my story is very different. I was like ten years in and out of the rooms of AA, right? Like I would be in for three months and I'd go out and drink. I'd be in for six months, I'd go out and drink, and I would always kind of this on and off game. And I think it's important to recognize your journey because for some people that it 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 is that it you can walk in and be like, Hey, I am going to set this aside and I am done. And you can, you know, and I, I think I want to encourage people that maybe are listening, going like, you don't have to do my in and out, in and out all the time. You can simply, if you're saying, Hey, I, I kind of want to try to stop drinking. I'm, I, I just want to done. Or I'm, I'm aware this isn't serving me in my life anymore. Like you can kind of do what you did and just say like, okay, like I'm going to make change. Right. Well, Curious, did you um, have a support group? Did you have a sponsor? Was there something that you were lacking? Oh, yeah. Uh, going in and out? Because usually I would say if you follow all the suggestions, which are the suggestions, I know. You wouldn't go in and out. So what was it, would you say? Uh, it was the, I would say there was, there was never a full commitment on my part, meaning that like 
I would do what was suggested, but not in my heart to want to do it just out of like 90 meetings in 90 days. Did it right. Uh, great. But as soon as the 90 meetings in 90 days, I was like, I'm done with meetings, right? you know, and then I would go back to drinking or, uh, I had the longest, I had a couple of years of coming in and out of the rooms where I wasn't even willing to admit that I, I had a drinking problem. You know, everyone else around me told me I did. And I was a, I was a kind of an isolated closet drinker. So I could drink and function and nobody kind of really knew. Um, and so it wasn't until I was, I think for me, what probably held me back the most was accepting where I was at and letting go of the pride of thinking I had to be somewhere I wasn't. And once I was okay being able to be there, and once I was like, okay, being like, this is okay that this is me. This is okay that I can communicate that I have a struggle with alcohol. Like, that's okay. That's when everything began to change, you know? So it was years of, of resisting and fighting the belief around it all. But that's amazing that you didn't quit. They say, don't quit before the miracle. Yeah. If anybody is out there listening to us, just keep going. Yep. Don't stop. You'll have that epiphany moment. Something will change. You never yeah. know. But if you're not there, then you can't oh, help. You yeah. know how hard it was to show up after – because, like, the meetings I would attend a lot of times were, uh, you know, first 30 days you'd raise your hand and say, you know, hey, I'm Zach, I'm a newcomer or whatever. And so to continually have to show up again, you know, after time and be like, hey, I'm still here again. It, it, it was – Probably the hardest thing I had to walk through, you know, if, but I knew I had to keep coming back. I knew I had to show up, you know, because there was a part of me that was like, I, there's something in me that I need to keep walking and breaking down this pride I had, you know, and it took time. Well, ego gets in the way, right? Easy. Oh, yeah. Ego. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, Wendy, okay. I want to, I think one, just recognize you. I have, I just... I appreciate you and the work you're doing, the way that you are impacting those around you and like choosing to take everything you have learned and apply it for your own life, but then also go, how do I serve humanity with it? You know, I think it's a big deal. So thank you. Um, I'm going to leave you with one question at the end. Um, so I always ask my guests this, but imagine that the world goes quiet, right? Everything just kind of the news, the social media, everything just kind of shuts down. And we all look at you and we, and basically asking you, going, Wendy, what is the one truth that you have to share with the world that you want everyone to know? What would that be? That change is possible and you're going to mm. be okay. And you can do anything that you want to do. Mm, I like that. And I guarantee someone who just heard that and they go, man, I needed to hear that today. So, um, well, Wendy, I want to say thank you again. What is the best way for people to connect with you and everything you got going on? Like where, where do you want, where's, where's the best place that people plug in? Well, I'm on Instagram, wendy.behar. Okay. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I have a website, which is wendybehar.com. Dot com. That's B-E-H-A-R.com. So you could check out my website, different podcasts and events that I've done, and you can contact me on there. And I do have an email, which is Wendy 
at wendybehar.com. Perfect. And Wendy, so everybody that's listening, all of those links to connect with everything that Wendy's got going on are in the show notes. So if you go down to the show notes, you'll see everything there. Best way to connect with her. So Wendy, thank you again. Thanks for being on the show. And thank you so much for asking me. Enjoy your family. Yeah. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks. Guys, I love what Wendy said right there at the end. Change is possible. Uh, Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe, Maybe that's the words that you just need to hear that goes, hey, change is possible. It really is. The moment that you shut down the idea that change isn't possible anymore is the moment that you are just stuck where you are. As long as you keep the idea that change is possible, it's not easy. It may be gruelingly hard and difficult, but it is possible. And so I want to leave you with that today. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you're going, man, I just have wanted to make a shift and a change towards this. It's possible. You may not be able to do it alone. We need others to walk through these things together. We need people. We need more than just ourselves at times, but it is possible. So, hey, make sure you guys go download the Lived app. Check it out. It's amazing. It's super helpful, especially when you are thinking about beginning to walk into this journey of sobriety or want to just try to moderate and figure out what you're doing with your drinking. Download the app. It is incredible. The app is link is in the show notes. All right, you guys have a beautiful, beautiful day.